why is the movie called Troll 2 when there are zero trolls in the movie? I am the Sandspeed. Why is the movie called Troll 2 and there are no trolls in the film? Actually, we're recording a bit late. Um, life gets in the way. Oh, yes. We're still hitting the schedule, though. Welcome to this episode. Uh, this is kind of an interesting episode. Let's stop for a moment and give a little bit of backstory. We had another movie planned for this slot. Uh, we had another movie pretty firmly planned for this slot. And then we had to make some changes. Uh, I'll be blunt. We were going to do Man on Wire... And it occurred to us that if we just waited a little bit, we could compare, do an actual compare and contrast with it and the walk when the walk hits video. So that's what we're going to do. This is this is one where we're kind of we're also kind of trying to do something easy this week because Albert has started a new job. Yes, I have. He started a new job. I'm going through the whole pregnancy thing with Amanda. Which, by the way, yes, I guess that's my first time to officially confirm it. Amanda is expecting. Yes, at least on this cast. At least on this cast. Yeah, so good life changes all around. But yeah, I just barely eked out the uh, Paranormals cast. I uh, Sunday night, like I hadn't gotten a chance to touch it until Sunday night. And um, I just, I marathoned it and got it done. So we're we're in need of something a little bit easier this week. And... So we're going back to a movie that we've already kind of touched on a bit, but it's one that we have that I have so much to say about that I keep going back to, and it's a chance for us to talk about something we haven't talked about before. So this week we're taking a look at uh, the 2010 documentary Best Worst Movie. This is a film that, of course, we're, we've mentioned before, and uh, this is just this is an interesting film to discuss, basically. For those who are unaware. Best Worst Movie is the documentary on the movie Troll 2, which we have covered. Uh, well, we haven't covered it, covered it, but we've talked about it in passing. Yeah. And it is made by the kid who uh, who plays the kid in the film, the main character. Yes, uh, My- Michael Paul Stevenson. Yes, now an adult, of course. <sighs> I love the way this documentary is structured. I love the way that it's, you know, I... I, I I love it to death. I've seen it. I've seen Troll 2 once, but I've seen this movie like three or four times. That's really the reason that I wanted to pull this movie out and discuss it is because we haven't done documentaries yet. And this is a good one to look at because it's really a model for what documentaries should strive for. This is really an example of what the documentary format can do at its absolute best. I have seen a lot more documentaries since I watched this movie. This one is still in my top five favorites. Uh, no, I take that back. It's it's not my top five. This one's still my favorite documentary, to be perfectly blunt. I also have a theory to present later on in the cast 
about documentaries as a whole, the state of documentaries as a whole. Why don't you actually open with that? Because I'm really interested to hear what your theory is. Yeah, there there has been, like, thanks to Netflix, uh, there has been a rise in people watching documentaries. Not to mention the Bernie thing, whenever I mention it to some people, they're like, oh yeah, I watched uh, the documentary about it on Netflix. And I can happily tell them, well, I backed that documentary and my name is in the credits. Yeah. And, of course, I've had conversations with people that have said, like, uh, uh, oh yeah, I watched uh, this documentary, I watched that documentary. And it's like, that's really cool. I have, my theory is that uh, Netflix is mostly responsible for that, for making those available. but. I have a theory that the rise of reality TV has kind of helped that along a little bit. I think that's indisputable. I think people are much more open to watching. Uh, a do- to that kind of style, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, if you get used to watching uh, a low-grade garbage form of this, because I'm really not a reality TV fan. I'm not either. But if you get used to watching a form of it, you're going to be more amenable to watching the higher quality versions, too. Yeah. It just kind of stands to reason. I know a lot of people who are huge reality TV fans who did shift into watching more documentaries. Yeah, I mean, that's really, I think, the fundamental key that's been there in the rise of the documentary has been that it's taken the idea that documentaries are to be watched for educational purposes away. It's like we're we're now more okay with the idea that documentaries can be entertaining. You know, they essentially serve the same purpose as the pure, the purely fictional narrative, which it, you know, which is it tells a story just in a different, slightly different format. Exactly. We are more open to that because fundamentally, and this is something that I'm really going to get into when we start to discuss the movie. Fundamentally, what makes for a great documentary is the same thing that makes for a great film of any kind. I mean, ultimately, documentaries are no different from any other movie. You need the same basic elements. You know, they just, it's not going to quite be the same. It's not going to quite be as easy. Um, you know, you're working with certain differences, but documentaries still fundamentally have to operate on the same levels. Um, I uh, I will say, this is not the first documentary that I've seen in theaters by a long shot. Um, as I'm thinking about it, I really think the first documentary that I saw, and this is another reason I think documentaries have kind of started to catch on, was uh, Bowling for Columbine. I'm reasonably certain yeah. that was the first documentary I saw. I'm not sure which one, which uh, is the first one I saw, but that one, yeah, definitely has some influence over uh, what I look for in a documentary. I, I think really it's hard to discuss the rise of the modern documentary without dis- discussing Michael Moore because he is such a an inflammatory figure. Um, I'm going to really stay away from Moore. I, in general, Moore is a political figure, and he's someone I don't choose to discuss on this cast. But I will go on ahead and say I've seen all of his documentaries to date in the theaters. Um, I think Moore is a highly entertaining figure. I think he is also a factually horribly flawed figure. Uh, I don't go to his. I go to his movies for entertainment. I don't go to them for education. Yeah. Um, if you want a reliable source, you don't go to Michael Moore. Um, but I like Moore. I, I, I like, I mean, I fundamentally like Moore himself. I think he's a very entertaining figure to watch. And he has some good ideas, I mean. You, you've got a couple other movies, I think, you know, in discussing this modern era that you have to bring up. Um, March of the Penguins, of course, was a huge epic hit. Yeah, which is interesting because it's, 
you know, it's it's a nature documentary. They just that just happens to have Morgan Freeman. It's it's a nature documentary with Morgan Freeman. Honestly, it's it's a strange movie because I really do love the film. I own it on DVD. Um, but I'd be hard pressed to tell you why I think it stands out. I I think it really just comes down fundamentally to the images they captured. It's a really gorgeous film. So and it and it tells an interesting idea. Um. Uh, you've got a few others. Uh, King of Kong was a pretty sizable hit. Yeah, I love King of Kong. I love King of Kong, but let's all be <laughs> honest. If you love the movie, oh, it's it's biased as hell. It is. It's tremendously biased. It's extremely heavily edited. Um, I have little doubt in my mind that a lot. I mean, there's a certain amount of stage quality to it. Um. But as, indeed, I think it's telling that the director of it went on to do a lot of uh, fiction films. Um, that's been his format that he's worked in ever since. But I, I do love the film. I've seen it several times. Um, yeah. Yeah, he paints uh, Billy Mitchell in such a horrible light. Which is funny, because I really came away from the film really liking him. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he was aggressive. Yeah, he was confident. And yeah, he was uh, cocky as all hell, but I like that. Those are good qualities, and I, I do like the film. I, I, it's a really entertaining film. Man on Wire, we mentioned briefly at the beginning of this cast, but again, I'm saving my thoughts on it until we get to it um, later on in the, the spring. Uh, Man on Wire is phenomenal. It's on Netflix. I do recommend it. That's just it. Most A lot of the films that, I, that uh, including, I believe this one is on Netflix, um, but, I mean, you've got a lot of good documentaries. Uh, I uh, One of the better documentaries that I've seen that I don't think gets talked about enough is a movie called More Than a Game, uh, which is about the uh, high school... It was about the Ohio uh, high school team that LeBron James was on. Interesting. Which, definitely a piece of propaganda. It definitely paints James in a very positive light. But it's an interesting story because it looks at something very strange and unique in American history which was this high school team, you know, amateur athletes being looked at as, you know, under this intense glow. And, of course, it it wound up, you know, things wound up working out okay. Um, Most of the young men went on to do okay, and I think a couple of them played college ball. Uh, James didn't. I think we all know what happened with that situation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, even if you don't watch, even if you don't pay attention to sports, you're still pretty aware of the fact uh, James did fine, um, but that's a good one. I mean, again, there are so many documentaries that I could list, and it really wouldn't be fair to discuss them. One one guy though that before I really move on to this to uh, this movie, one thing I do have to address is um, Alex Gibney's documentaries because he's really one of the most prolific. He does like two to three a year. Wow. And I have a very mixed fe- I have very mixed feelings about his movies. I wouldn't say that I particularly dislike them. I just find them very shallow. He's the guy that did uh, the Enron documentary. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is a which is a good watch. He's the guy that did the uh, Lance Armstrong documentary. Which I, I watched that movie and I thought, well, this is a really interesting, decent watch, but it's not overly burdened. It's not a lot of information I didn't already know. Like that, and that's how his movies are. They're very entertaining. They're very quick moving but they don't tell me anything i don't already know right or that i wouldn't already or that i wouldn't know if i didn't like i read a lot of nonfiction, is what i'm trying to say 
His movies are like heavily abridged nonfiction books on film. They're they're very they're rapid. They they're flashy. They cover only the surface details. Um, I'm I'm of mixed opinions about his films. I think that they're entertaining, and I think they're good for people who won't read nonfiction. But like in the Armstrong case, really, aside from the uh, footage of Armstrong, who was interviewed extensively for the film, and which was very entertaining to watch, uh, you you really forget. I've read a lot on Armstrong, and I really forgot just how charming he could be. Because after you read enough books about him, you really and truly want to punch the guy. Yeah. Um, if you think if you think the steroids were the only reason that people don't like him, you really need to read up on him. Um, there's a lot of reasons to dislike this guy. He's kind of awful. Yeah. He 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 fucked up the bicycle game for everybody. Well, in all fairness, it was already uh, squirrely. He, yeah, well, he tainted he be, by becoming the superstar. He tainted the waters, and he definitely pressured people and made them take steroids. Like he wasn't uh, a passive participant; he was actively making things worse. Um, you know what? Even though if you don't know anything about Armstrong's situation, um, I'm hearing that the uh, fictional movie on it that on his story that, that's coming out isn't very good. So I would recommend the Armstrong lie probably over that although I haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting story. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't note the, uh, I've mentioned it before, the wonderful bio, uh, bio doc on Roger Ebert, uh, Life Itself, which is as definitive as it could get. Yeah, I, I love that one. Again, it's not a movie that's really going to tell you much new that you don't already know, but for the footage of Ebert at the end of his life, it's worth seeing. Are there any that you would recommend before we get to this one? I can tell you some I've been wanting to see. I've been wanting to see the documentary on the making of uh, Jaws. The shark is still working. I've heard that's quite good. I want to see the one on the making of Fantastic Four that's coming out yes. soonish. Yeah, when that one comes out, we're going to do a mini-sode on that one. Just uh, a heads up uh, for everybody. Yes. When that one comes out, we will cover it. Well, what if you're into the long format, uh, I can easily recommend... Any of Ken Burns' documentaries. Yeah, Ken Burns is pretty much the the standard, and he should be. Especially, uh, I think one of the only ones I've seen of his all the way through is uh, Jazz. And uh, his his recent one on the Roosevelt's is also really, really good. It's not, I don't know, it is and it isn't a documentary. It's more of a concert film, but... uh, Michelle Gondry's Dave Chappelle's Block Party. I'd count it. I'd count it. Yeah, it's really good. The Last Waltz, Martin Scorsese, I have not seen that one yet, but I know Banksy is a very controversial figure right now, but watch his movie Exit Through the Gift Shop. Which I still have not seen, so... It's really good. Like, even if you don't like Banksy, like... Um, you know, he's gotten a lot of flack over his uh, Dismaland installation. Didn't work out for him very well, did it? No, but you, know, you can argue multiple points on that one, but even if you don't like him, it's, you know, he makes kind of a point in that film, which is the commercialization of street art and uh, just kind of art in general and what makes art. And because this guy sold a lot of his junk pieces like uh, for like millions of dollars does that 
mean that he's legit? I mean, yeah. It raises those questions. It's very what is art? What is art? Uh, if you want to go way, way back to some pretty stupendous editing for the day, 1929's Man with a Movie Camera. Uh, it's silent, like it doesn't really have a story, but it's on Netflix, and it is really fun to watch. Another one I can recommend, The Thin Blue Line. Errol Morris, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, oof. If you want, if you want to study some really good technique, that's a good one. And that's an important movie, too. It's a very important movie, yes. But yeah, I just, I'm impressed all the way around by that one. A couple more. Grizzly Man. Gotta get some Herzog. Gotta get some Herzog. Oh, yeah. Uh, the very last class I took for my degree was documentary. And uh, we watched a film called Paris is Burning. And that one's really good. Ooh, that's 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 an interesting subject. And uh, as yeah. always, a highly important one to pay attention to. There's a lot of good material in there. Yeah. Especially, you know, especially it was mainly like the 80s. Uh, late 80s early 90s uh, especially in this day, day and age it's very important and it's really good story um, but anyway yeah that's what I can recommend yep so with all that in mind um, let's finally get to this one with one more bit of prologue yeah we're not, yeah we're not done we're not done because we do have to address before we get to this one you said you've only seen Troll 2 once what were your thoughts on it uh, I saw it with Rift Tracks. Okay. So it's kind of, yeah. So, I mean, it has, you know, I watched it with that slant on it. I really need to watch, I really need to do a Rift Tracks list watch. I have. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it's cheesy. It's very cheesy. Uh, I think with, yeah, I think with some tweaking, I think you kind of talked a little about this in the outtakes of the last episode. I think with some tweaking, it could be actually be kind of a scary movie i think you nailed it yeah i mean because that last that uh, the ending of that is definitely a horror ending and that is like oh oh that's just creepy no yeah yeah which you know horror movie does Mm -hmm. (laughs) and oh yeah it definitely has its comedic it's infinitely quotable it is infinitely quotable um yeah I uh, okay. I'm I'm just gonna say right now. I drove four hours to see Best Worst Movie. Uh, I actually had to drive four hours to see it because that was the closest place that was playing it. Um, I'm gonna post a link to my story of because uh, I did a blog entry on going to see it. You went to Springfield for that, yes. didn't you? Yeah, I went to Springfield to see it. Um, to the Moxie, which you know, shout outs to them. Um, but that's where we saw uh, Avengers, wasn't it? It was in the same neighborhood. Moxie's of the art house, uh, lovely theater. Uh, I got got a lot of love for them. And here's how I feel about Troll Two: is I think you nailed it. It's almost there. This is a movie in the uncanny valley, and I think people respond to that even if they don't realize they're responding to it. Which is that it's almost great. Like it's almost a legitimately wonderful horror movie. It's got strong ideas that are just not fully fleshed out. It's got some good scares that are horribly executed. A lot of things in this movie are right on the brink of being just right, and they're executed so wrongly. It's like you get to the uh, to within a block of where you're supposed to be going, and then you take a right turn and you cross the country. That's what this right. film is like. Is it, 
it starts going in the right direction and then it gets everything so wrong. There, there are a lot of reasons for that, which we will get into when we talk about the documentary, but I do think that its reputation is well-earned. This is one that I'm fine with being in the canon. It's one that I recommend wholeheartedly to people. I think it's a tremendously entertaining film. I think it does have some oddly effective moments. Um, It has so much that's wrong. It has so many moments that are absurd. But I I dig the film. I, I dig the fact that it is this weird, unique misfire so yeah so i I walked into this movie with affection for troll 2 is what it comes down to yeah so yeah let's talk about the documentary at long last yeah best worst movie is a uh 93 minute look at the entire phenomenon of this movie when documentaries try to take that approach of okay how do we look at a big subject Oftentimes, what you wind up with is a really poorly structured film. What you often wind up with are these very patchy, jumpy movies. You know, as much as I love life itself, it does have that to a great degree, that it jumps uh, around a lot. Um, And that's something that I think your documentaries just fall prey to, because you're trying to cover so much material, so you wind up going down back alleys. And you wind up right. going down all these side streets instead of getting to a clear destination. And, th- and that's easy to do because what you're doing is you're working from hundreds of hours of raw footage. Yeah, documentaries are made in the editing room. Mm-hmm. 100%. My own experiences with making, like, a, I made a short doc called uh, Imaginary Friends you can watch on YouTube about internet friends. I had, like, grand ideas of, you know... It being like a half hour thing about, you know, the internet and the state of the internet and internet friends and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, you know, due to time constraints, I had to, you know, cut it down to its most base thing, which is just, about, you know, around the friendships. You know, I had all these other things that that I'm glad I did that uh, because if I had went with my original plan then uh, it would have been dead as hell Yeah, five years later. And uh, as it as it is, it still works. So, I mean, you know, movies, like in general, uh, fiction uh, narratives, like they usually have one, one thing that they're shooting for, one direction they're shooting for. Documentaries go like 20 different directions before they settle. That's why they often have pretty good deleted scenes. Um, This movie does something really smart, though, which is it does find an interesting structure. Uh, Most documentaries, if if they can, do strive for chronology. And I I think at the best, really, that's the smartest thing to do with documentaries, is if you can do chronology, do chronology. One of the biggest themes that they can focus on is character. Like, I found that what really makes for great documentaries is characters. If you think about the documentaries that you really enjoy the most, they're usually ones with people that we enjoy the most. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't have to necessarily be the clearest cut. Um, uh, Michael Moore's films do sit around someone that uh, you can love them or hate them, but Moore does provide an interesting protagonist. Um, This movie, I think, really and truly is made by the fact that it has a tremendous protagonist in the form of not the person you expect for this movie. Right. Not the kid who's making it, but the guy who plays the father, the dentist. Yeah. And that, to me, right then and there, if you want to know what I think is the decision that makes the difference between this being 
a fun film for fans of Troll 2 and a fun mo- and a movie that really and truly merits watching even if you've never seen Troll 2 is the fact that Stevenson doesn't turn it into a vanity project where he focuses on himself. He instead finds a much more interesting character. And George Hardy, the protagonist of the film, if you will, is just a guy that you love watching. Oh, yeah. Uh, at the beginning, when they sit down with various residents of like his, like the small the small town that he lives in, he has always been one of the most fun people that I know. He loves people, and he likes the reaction that he gets from people. How you been? You always answer the phone so great here. Everybody says that, and then you like you see it. Like he radiates that yeah. presence. Yeah. Even if they didn't have those clips of people trying to tell you this is how they view him, you would come to that conclusion anyway, because he's just a very likable, warm guy. He's someone who, we see him at his job, he's obviously good at it. He's good with kids, we see him being a father, he seems very, you know, he's a good guy. Which is funny, because he's borderline abusive in uh, Troll 2. In the film. Yeah, he even even likes to... uh the line that he quotes the most in the film. I must do it. I must do it. I must do it. He goes <laughs> like that and he and he's gonna pee all over the table. <laughs> so then the next scene is just me going upstairs and I go, You can't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a very angry, shouty performance. But he comes off as just a very nice uh he's from Georgia. Just a just a nice guy. And you, you really do come away from it, uh enjoying watching this guy and the story of the film is watching him come to experience this cult phenomenon this guy who is completely outside the cult world uh this small town dentist coming to interact with the world of people hipsters let's just call it what it is it's a small town dentist entering the hipster world yeah and in doing so, we wind up getting glimpses of this world. We wind up finding out how people are affected by it. How fans, various groups, you know, we wind up getting to meet the various groups of people who are hosting screenings. And we get to see this world. And this is a movie that has, this is one of the least cynical movies I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Which I find really refreshing. It doesn't look at these people who are, uh, watching this movie and laughing at them it this is a movie that really loves this phenomenon yeah he he got the director into it too the director and his wife uh uh both of whom wrote and uh, made the movie you know it's interesting to hear his comments on it i didn't think of you at the worst movie i did a very good movie if the others say worst movie um is a them them problem not my problem my problem is to shoot a lot of movie. I want to shoot a lot of movie. I can't. I, I can't stop. Yeah, because the the director provides what would have been, I think, in a poor, in a more poorly made film, he would have provided the quote unquote villain, because he does not agree with any of this. He he still thinks he made a serious film, which is funny because if you listen to the wife talk, you get kind of an insight as to why the movie was bumbled in execution let's first of all note that they're both italian right and she was going for a satire with the movie actually 
Yeah. Uh, she was actually going for a satire in the film, dealing with the idea that vegetarianism had become a cult. So she thought it would be funny to do a movie where that was the idea, and that is very much at the core of this movie. Which, yeah, when you when you hear her talk about that, it's like, oh yeah, suddenly everything in this movie clicks as far yeah. as the ideas. And and that's also a really interesting and good idea for a film. It's yeah. a horror movie. It, it is, and it really does make, I mean, I will say this, watching this movie definitely makes Troll 2 a better movie. No question about it. Because oh yeah. Because you understand what it was going for. Um but yeah, he still believes he made a serious film. He still thinks he made a good scary movie. And in another movie it occurs to me he would be someone that you would get the impression we were supposed to laugh at. And while he's cuz he uh Claudio Fragasso the director, he really is. He's a very comical figure. He's a very bold man. He's a very larger-than-life figure. And it would be very easy to paint him as a quote-unquote villain. But instead, you really come away from it liking the guy. He's, he comes off as a very likable fellow. He's he's goofy. He's silly. But he's a very likable guy. And you, I genuinely enjoyed listening to this guy talk because he has such a bold presence. I mean, he, he's, he, has, he has the passion. He has the passion, and he's such a natural showman. This is a guy that it makes perfect sense got into the movie industry. Um, and, and I love that he does have this passion. It, it, it makes him... It's far more entertaining to watch someone who's proud of their work than to watch someone who's cynical about it. But yeah, it would be very easy to paint him at, because the movie is trying to put forward this theory of this cult movie, it would be very easy to paint it without that light. You know, it'd be very easy to go, look at this guy, he's wrong. And the movie doesn't. It it celebrates him, really. I mean, especially, we, we get a clear, we just get a few shots, but we get a clear sense of the affection he has for his wife. Uh, she's a very likable figure in her own right. Very charming. And they just seem like nice people. They just seem like very pleasant people. Um, that That's really the theme that runs through this movie, is that, just about everybody we meet is very likable. Um, that's one thing I really love about this movie is it's very complete. Only one major actor from the film doesn't speak in the film. Uh, she's in there in brief cameos if you look here and there. The actress that played the Goblin Queen. Oh, by the way, that's something that we should stress for those who are unaware. It's called Troll 2. It has no connection to Troll. And it's... There are no trolls in it. There are no <laughs> trolls. It is a movie about goblins. Very silly looking goblins. By the way, even though it's not officially connected to Troll, which is a 1980s movie that if I was to try and... Let me just try and explain it to you. Because this is a movie that... It may be a little too good to be uh, to be the cult classic it could be, if that makes any sense. It's a movie with uh, where the cast includes June Lockhart from Lassie, one of the kids from The NeverEnding Story, Sonny Bono... <laughs> oh no. And... Julia Louis Dreyfus. Really? Yes. Yes. Who at one point. Seinfeld. She of the uh, countless Emmys. <laughs> yes, that one. Wow. Yeah. Ugh. By the way, the, the uh, main protagonist in the film is a kid named Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, uh, Dreyfus runs around covered in leaves. Yeah, wow. this is a weird movie. Um, this is a very That's weird movie. That's amazing. My understanding is it's probably a little too successful at being what it wants to be. 
Right. It, it, it's probably a little too actually good to achieve a cult following. It should be noted, uh, Troll 2 is actually now packaged with Troll on DVDs. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they released it as a double feature, so it's more or less an official sequel now, even though it has nothing to do with it. Hmm. That's incredibly funny. Yeah, but the movie was originally shot as Goblin. That was the name of it when it was originally made. It's been a little bit since I've seen it, but uh, I think in the film there is an explanation offered for why it's called Troll 2, but it still doesn't make any damn sense. I mean, the simple answer is that in Italy, which it should be stressed, pretty much everybody except for the actors in this movie was Italian. They went to Utah to shoot it, uh, pretty much everybody behind the scenes was Italian. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a that's a big factor in why this movie wound up being so weird, was because not a lot of people making the movie actually spoke English. In Italy, rip-offs, uh, movies with uh, fictional, with uh, names, quote-unquote, flung on them. You know, like, you'd get, there was a, uh, a Terminator 2 made in the uh, 19... 80s that has nothing to do with the uh, classic. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, there's like an alien movie there that is obviously nothing to do with alien. Yeah, Italian exploit, uh, exploitation movies, they did that a lot. So this is just kind of one of the best known examples. So basically just piggybacking off the success of a more popular film uh, without actually having anything to do with that film. It's, it's the Italian way, I'm telling you. Wow. I did to mention one of, one of my favorite characters in the film is the guy who plays the shopkeep. Yeah, let's talk about that because that's a really powerful and profound moment. Yeah, I mean he's um, you know of course they interviewed him and he tells his story of making the film, which is that he has some mental problems and you know they're I think he has bipolar. I think so. Yeah. Because I just rewatched yeah. the film. Yeah, I think that's what he said. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he... Now, obviously, he's fine. He has it more under control. But, um, you know, during the film, he was in a very bad way. Like, he was in a very kind of... It was the worst it could possibly get. Yeah. He was in a very delusional state. He was in a mental hospital. He was on weekend passes to shoot the movie. Yeah. Can I help you? coffee there's no coffee here in Nilbog. it's the devil's drink eggs yeah and 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 you realize now going back you look at that performance and you're like yeah this is literally a mental patient you can see it's unstable you can see the instability but man it's effective because that scene is actually really creepy it is it's horrifying give the guy his credit he gives his all in that scene yeah, he was he was into the character. He yeah, was... I stress again. They interviewed pretty much everybody. As I said, I think the Goblin Queen was the only one they didn't interview, and that's just because they couldn't get to her. Like they couldn't. Like they did do some interviews, but they didn't fit the film. Yeah, that's about that's that's about the only one they couldn't get to. Uh, which I understand. I mean, it, it's at ninety three minutes. It's a very well paced ninety three minutes. Um, it moves very, very smoothly. One of the things I do love is that not everybody was, you know, not everybody takes, I mean, Hardy approaches the movie with a sense of humor. He approaches it finding it funny. In fact, that actually winds up backfiring him for him when he shows the, when he screens the movie in his hometown. 
And yeah. after he's gone to all these screenings where people laugh at it, he's confused when the small town people don't, they don't laugh at it. They don't, they take it seriously. Right. I'd forgotten about that part. That's a good, that's, that's a good moment because he, he's like, wait, I, this movie is so much fun. Why do you people not see this? Why do you not, you know? And they're like, well, because we, we genuinely were investing in it. And huh. That's that's like a theme that runs, by the way, throughout this entire movie, is the idea of sincerity versus humor. Right. This is a movie that's really strong on sincerity. And, and, and it talks openly about the fact that why people respond to this movie is because movies that are trying to be bad aren't funny. Because they're insincere. And this is so true. We talked about this at so much length on the Birdemic 2 cast. We did, yes. And, of course, on... You know, talking about the you know our very first episode, of the room and uh, the neighbors chronicles a little bit. Yeah, I mean that's something that I think Wiseau is guiltier of in the neighbors. Yeah, I mean they are right. This this is a sincere movie, and that that I, I do love that the movie constantly talks about sincerity versus uh, ridicule, um, which again makes it really helps that the movie itself is very sincere and very. Very, uh, Roger Ebert called it oddly touching. Hmm. Yeah. Again, there are, there are a number of people in the film who are pretty embarrassed by it. Yeah. One of the people that we meet is the actress that played the sister and about how she reacts to it. And you really do feel for her because she got, because she, she sort of serves as the voice of, okay, the IMDB really hates this movie. You know, and, um, the fact that she had trouble getting parts after that. Yeah. She still apparently wavers on including the movie on the resume because it's like, oh, yeah, th- this kills your... And it's like... And she was a kid at the time. She was like 15. Yeah, that's kind of unfair. I mean, uh, again, pretty much everybody in this movie comes off so likably, so you do feel for her. One thread that the movie doesn't talk about except for like one brief theme is, man, Mormonism kind of... Uh, is the big unspoken subject in this movie. Was it just me? It's been a little bit since I've seen it, but uh, I forgot all about that. But there are references to um, Stevenson uh, is referred to as that Mormon kid at one point. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, one character, one, uh, one actor refers to having gone on his mission. I mean, because it was made in Utah, there's... It is Utah. <laughs> like I, I feel yeah. like that's a big unspoken theme that runs through this movie. Um, not negatively, not negatively, but um, although, by the way, if this movie were to be rated, uh, it would earn an R rating. So it's, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be would not be watched by Mormons. Uh, let me point that out. Um, <laughs> it, it's an it's definitely an R rated. I mean, it's unrated. It would earn an R, but it would be a very soft R. Are you talking about Troll 2 or Best Worst Movie? Uh, Best Worst Movie. Troll 2 was PG-13. Troll 2 was PG-13. Okay. Uh, I think, though, that Best Worst Movie, honestly, I think it probably could have had a couple, uh, just a little bit of bleeping would have been enough to get it a a PG-13, maybe even a PG, honestly. I mean, it's it's that, it's that tame of a film. Uh, but we're going to get to the MPAA in a couple of weeks. Let's just... Let's just remind people that one's coming up very fast. Can't get ahead of ourselves. But, I mean, it, it is. It's it's a very, it is a remarkably light film in that way. But, I don't know, I, I got sidetracked. Uh, 
See, that's the thing. I'm getting more sidetracked than this movie does. And that's a big reason that I really enjoy it is because it is so focused going from actor to actor. As I said, the movie does, the movie follows the cult phenomenon, but it also does something that a lot of movies like this don't do, which is it looks outside the cult phenomenon and it looks at how the cult is viewed from the outside. I think one of the definitive moments is where, um, you know, George goes on this little tour, uh, you know, where there are a bunch of screens of the film and he, you know, he goes to places and people recognize him and like, yeah, and he talks about the film. And the fighting moment uh, comes when they go to London, like a horror movie yeah. in London. And nobody knows what the movie is. It's not big over there. And he just looks around and goes, I'm just sick of this place. Let's get out of here. Let's split this joint. You want to? Yes, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Let's just clean it up. I am sick of this. I'll never do this again. And it's something that you really, a lot of documentaries, if they're trying to sell you on something, they don't look outside. They, mm-hmm. they, they, they really keep you focused in because to a certain degree, a lot of these documentaries are propaganda. But it is kind of a bold move that the movie stops and goes, okay, here's how it really goes. Here's how things really work. In the real world, this is just a little cult phenomenon. In the larger, even in the larger, larger spectrum of horror, this is just a tiny little thing. You know, it might be the canon within, say, the circles that you and I walk in, but it's right. not for the mainstream. And I like that because it's because it's honest. Yeah, it, it really does force us to go. Okay, well, this is how it really works in the real world. Um, yeah, it's it's the definition of cult. And I I just and and it's 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 a it's a depressing moment. Honestly, it's actually a very hard to watch scene. But it but it has to be in there to ground the movie to to say okay we've had our fun, but hey let's you know. And again, that's a lot of the editing. A lot of this film really and truly does flow through the editing. I, I'll say this. I don't doubt that, a lot, that there's a, a bit, a good bit of selective editing going on. I don't doubt that that, yeah. that, that goes on on this film, too. I, I don't pretend that this movie is, you know, that it doesn't suffer from some of those things. Um, it definitely chooses its moments very specifically. Um that includes coming off with a happy ending for the film too, but yeah, I mean, the, we need the, we need the darkness. We need to look at the honest situation here, and the movie does that very well. Yeah, it's just an uncannily effective sequence. Uh, I mean, yeah, just seeing the anger in George's face, it hurts. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that, and that's the point where he does kind of reach burnout too. Yeah on that and yeah it's that just kind of clinches it for him. he's like let's let's go home i just want to go home and, and it cements the idea that okay this is all well and good but even when you've got this weird form of stardom it it sure isn't enough i mean and that's an idea that the, that the movie comes back to in the final moments where he says look I, I i don't regret doing what i did but you know i'm not an actor i'm happy with which I, I should note, actually, I kind of think that's a loss. I kind of feel like if someone was to give the guy a shot, he could be a, he'd be a warm presence. Let me put it this way: if I were directing a movie, I'd find a role for the guy. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I view his work. Um, but yeah, he comes to a point where he's like, "Look, I'm okay with this. This is 
you know, he's got a daughter he uh, loves. He's got a job that he loves doing. He's got a community that he loves being a part of. And I think that's a good idea. One of the things that we do have to talk about while we're talking about the darkness of this film is we have to address the really bleak thread in this movie. And that's when we catch up with the actress that played the mother. Yeah, yeah, they really have to go out of their way to find her. They have to go out of their way to find her. They do reunite with her. And that scene, I feel like I don't really want to say too much about. I think people need to see that scene for themselves. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Like, she doesn't meet them with any sort of harshness. You know, as, you know it's not like... Uh, it's not like she was intending to shut them out specifically. It's just that she kind of shuts everything out. She's not. She's not well, to be blunt. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's very sad. It's very poignant. The movie really does. It it hurts, and that's something that I'm. You're glad you experience it. You're glad that the movie does take the time to 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 deal with this material. But it's very hard to watch. It's very unsettling, and and it and it it, it is. It, it's sad, and uh, but I'm glad that it's in there because, I mean, those moments in and of themselves would, would make an amazing short film. This is yeah, again. I just I have so much love for this movie because, again, that's why I keep coming back to with this movie is the people. And I really think fundamentally that's what makes for a great documentary is it's not a good subject. I've seen documentaries on really interesting subjects. I watched a, a documentary on pinball, which I cannot remember the name of for the life of me. But I'm a pinball junkie. I love pinball. And I found the documentary utterly boring and uninteresting. I really stress this. If you want your documentary to be great, you need great people. And this documentary was just... It was basically a an overview. It was it was an educational documentary, more or less, not not really a story, and I I wasn't interested in it. This is this is this is this is about people, and you need people to drive your documentary. Uh, one of the greatest examples of this is the notoriously um, staged Pumping Iron, which had two really fascinating figures at its core. Uh, the bodybuilder Lou Ferrigno, and the bodybuilder slash uh, future uh, slash rising actor slash future governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Have you have, have you ever seen any of Pumping Iron? I have not. Let me tell you, you watch that documentary and you have no doubt in your mind why Schwarzenegger became what he became. Is that is that where that infamous yes um... yes. Shit. Yes. It's as satisfying to me as uh, coming is. I'm like uh, getting the feeling of coming in the gym. I'm getting the feeling of coming at home. I'm getting the feeling of coming backstage when I pump up. So I'm coming day and night. Yes. But the thing about it is you watch it and you understand why Schwarzenegger became what he became. Because he's so charismatic. He's so charming. This is a guy you want to watch. I mean, it's terrific, right? <laughs> so yeah it makes perfect sense that schwarzenegger went on to become schwarzenegger as i said the documentary is riddled with problems it's riddled with obvious staging i don't know this movie it's such an interesting film i obviously i'm biased because i am interested in the subject yeah i mean this is this is our world this is what we work in 
but I did love that we got that it did give us a genuine real look at this world um if someone was to ask me how would i su- how would I sum up my interest in bad movies? This is how I would use um yeah just watch just watch best first movie it it explains everything i i had to take a i had to take a two day trip to see this movie i don't regret it i don't regret it one bit mostly because i had yeah. a tremendous amount of fun doing it um i also wound up buying the movie on dvd as well so oh i did too i'm staring at my copy of it <laughs> yeah by the way it has a i just want to note the box art on it is great yeah, and the 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 box itself is green, which mm. is amazing. We need more movies like this. This is this is this is what you want in a documentary. Is something that gives you feelings. It gives you an experience, and it does te- it does tell you things. I mean, you do definitely learn a lot about the making of Troll Two from this movie. Yeah, you you in fact you learn everything there is to know about it. Really. Oh yeah, it's it's a it's a terrific film. Like I. Like, yeah, and again, it is one that I think you can watch outside of um, knowing what it is, what Troll is, or Troll 2, and um, be enlightened about a geek niche. Because the bad movie niche is an interesting one, and we hadn't really seen a good movie about it until now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But all the same, you ought to watch Troll 2, just because Troll 2 is, it is fascinating, and it, it is fun, and... There are a healthy amount of clips from that movie also in in the documentary. Oh, yeah, yeah, they get they get pretty much every piece of footage that you would need. Uh, but you still need to see the whole movie because it is so weird and wonderful. Um, I'm going to confess, I actually took a stab at rewriting the opening scenes of the movie once, just for fun, and I lost that in the script apocalypse. But I've never closed the door on the idea of just as a fan piece trying to write a serious version of it. Mm-hmm. I think it could be done. I don't. I don't think it's out of the question. If I if I could remake one movie, it would be Troll Two. Yeah, I'd do it. That would certainly be interesting. I'd do it. I'd do it just for the exercise. Just for the exercise. Um. Again, this is one. It's pretty easy to get your hands on. I believe it's on Netflix. I know it's not hard to get. I know it's not hard to get your hands on. It is fairly recent still. Um. See if I can confirm the Netflix availability. Of course, it's funny. We're we're talking about this movie uh, within a week of the news that the Disaster Artist movie has a studio now. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, this this could be a good time for uh, stories behind the uh, best bad movies of all time because um, the Disaster Artist has been picked up by New Line. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that's going to start shooting at the uh, beginning of next year. I think it actually may start shooting in December. I'm not sure. It's shooting soon, though. Um, that's going to be an interesting film. I, I'm still not sure how I feel about it. Yeah, because, you know, we have come across people who would better play Wiseau. Yeah, we've come across a number of people. I, I think Franco will do fine, but I also strongly feel like that movie is going to be hobbled by the fact that he's cast his brother in the Sestero role. And it's one of those things. His brother would be fine in that part. His brother's done decent work before. Um, I've got no issue with... But you you can't really get past the fact that they look a lot alike and they are brothers. They really and truly, side by side, they bear a strong resemblance to each other. A very strong resemblance. I don't know. I'm, 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 
I'm I'm I, the, the the verdict is out on this movie. But the fact that we're getting a disaster artist movie means that I can't complain and the fact that a major studio has picked it up means at least I'll get to see it. Right. And yes, for those who are wondering, we will cover it when the movie comes out. Oh, yes, we will. We have to. It's our namesake, for God's sake. Yeah, so that one may get a full episode, actually. So just, I wouldn't be surprised if we do as much as we can on that one. But as I said, with and we still recommend the book. That's That minisode is still out there. Um, but yeah. Um, There's a documentary on uh, uh, Back to the Future now on... I've heard is good. I've heard is good. But as I said, I mean, with this movie, if you can see it, it's just well worth your time. It's quick, too. It's at 93 minutes. It's not a hard set. I just, yeah, when it, when it's all said and done, is this as quote unquote great of a documentary as some that I could list? Nah, but this is my favorite. The movie is not on Netflix. It's not hard to find, though. I'm sure it may even be on YouTube for all I know. You know what? Track it down. If you can find a way to to pay to see it. This is one I actually think merits it. This is one that I just really recommend, and I don't have much more to say beyond that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is worth the 10 bucks to get it. I bought it blind uh, without seeing it, because I knew I would, you know... I, from your recommendation alone, I knew it would be great. Again, this is just an entertaining... It's a very funny movie. It's definitely funny. Let me stress that. Yeah. I just... I don't know. This is just one that I'm really glad that we're getting to discuss. Um, it's two ninety nine to rent on Amazon streaming. Uh, it's it's temporarily out of stock in terms of sales. It's very highly rated though. It has a nine there, but it's a two ninety nine rental on Amazon. Guys, pay to see it. This is this is one where I think give the filmmakers your money because it was an independently made film. To be clear, this is one worth. It's worth seeing. It you can get it on iTunes. I'm sure. Find it, watch it, and just really enjoy it. And what's great is we've just talked over the surface of it. This is one you have to experience. And maybe that's the joy of some of the best documentaries, too. That you have that you can hear what they're about, but you have to experience them to really know how they work. So, next time, it's been 20 years since the first computer-generated uh, animated movie came out. And it's time to look back. We are looking back at the legacy of the first ever completely computer-animated movie uh, in cinema history. And here's what's great about the movie. Most people, that's not even the first thing they think of when they think of the Toy Story movies. Yeah. We are going We are going to look back at the 20 years of Toy Story. We're going to cover the whole trilogy. We're going to cover the shorts. We're going to cover the specials. Yes. Yeah, if you're looking for a negative cast, next week will not be a cast to listen to. This one's been in the works for a while. We knew we wanted to. Uh, it'll be around the 20th anniversary of the release. We are looking at, back at uh, the Toy Story trilogy. We're looking at the legacy. And we're looking at why are these movies so great? Because they are great. They are great. All three all three would be like... Like if I was to rate them, all three would be highest ratings. So, so next week, we're looking at the Toy Story trilogy. Um... Uh, you can find us on our blog, The Source of the Cast, at thefilmroom.podbean.com. There's an Android app for Podbean, so there's no more direct way to find us. You know, it's available the instant that it's posted. It's usually consistently posted 
at 8 o'clock a.m. on Tuesday, every Tuesday. This week was a little different. I just I just posted it at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> so, because I just wanted to get out there because uh, The Paranormals is such a great little movie that I think deserves a lot of... Uh, uh, it deserves a spotlight. It deserves it big time. We're still really glad that we did that one. That was a lot of fun. So you can you can find us there, and you can find the side blog at uh, thefilmroomlobby.wordpress.com. Uh, you'll find uh, nostalgia there, and um, with uh, you know with other things that we write, and um, you can find us on our twitters. We're at filmroomcast. Uh, Austin is at Untitled User. I am at Primitive Man PRD plus Secret Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the film room. Uh, you can email us, filmroompodcast at gmail.com. There is the Patreon, of course. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Daisy. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Sean from No Totally, uh, for your continued support. We have some, we have so much that we're, that we're going to do, y'all. I mean, Ah, yes. We're coming on our, I do believe, our third or fourth month, Patreon-supported, and it's been great. Yep. Yeah. Financially, the cast self-sustains, and that, oh my god, that's that helps so much. You won't, you wouldn't believe. And, you know, I can, t- I continually enjoy just being able to upload a- anything on the Podbean site and not have to worry about space constraints. It is so liberating. It is. It is great. So, y'all, your support is welcomed, and our numbers continue to be... We're growing. We're growing. We are a growing cast. We are, yes. Uh, and I love that. But, yeah, uh, patreon.com slash thefilmroom. Even a dollar gets you early access. It gets you... Uh, like even a dollar a month gets you early access. It gets you access to special casts we do every now and then. You know, at five dollars, you know, you get, uh, you get your own custom cast every once every three months. And you know, a couple people have cast you on that so far. I mean, why not you? We'll yeah. we'll talk about most anything. Almost so, anything. Almost anything. Uh, that's a very limited almost. Yeah. But yeah, so that's our stuff. So yep. We will talk to y'all next time. Bye, everybody. What a homie bartered ride. Two kissed to car to light. Post pictures on the walls. Small talk in the bedroom hall. Would you star in Troll 3 if Claudio asked you? Yes. I would star in Troll 3. I'd love to star in Troll 3. What are you talking about? Of course.